O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Alleluia. The true God, one in three, and three in one. O come, let us worship him. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth, the strength of the hills is his also. It is his, and he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, Never shall be world without end. Amen. The true God, one in three and three in one. O come, let us worship him.
Be gracious to me, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. For great is your steadfast love toward me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. You may be seated. The Old Testament reading for this, the 16th Sunday after Trinity, is from 1 Kings chapter 17. After this, the woman of, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chambers where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he, stretching himself upon the child three times, and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Ephesians chapter 3. Brothers, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
This is the word of the Lord. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. For the Lord builds up Zion. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. Alleluia, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gates of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the gospel of our Lord. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Over the last week, the fair has ended, the weather's getting colder, leaves are changing colors. Some of you farmers have gotten into the fields and started harvest. Others of you are about to begin. And as of yesterday, summer is officially ended. Fall has begun. Winter is coming. And it's bittersweet. Harvest is an exciting time. But losing the newness of spring is hard. And none of us really want to be reminded of the long, hard winter. We love the new life of spring, but what winter reminds us of is the opposite. It reminds us of death. And who wants to ponder death? It's like who wants to think about winter? And we've mentioned before that we're in a culture that wants to avoid death. It opts instead for celebration of life services instead of funerals because it's easier to ponder how a person lived rather than about the person who's dead in front of you. We hate pondering death because there's a finality to it. And that finality haunts us. When you go to a wake or to a visitation, which we're going to have one this, this Friday, And when you go to it, you're going to see a person there that is in the casket that has passed, that 
you'll never talk to again, you'll never joke with again, you'll never sit down to dinner with again. And you know that person will go into the ground shortly and they're not coming back. And what's even more haunting about it is that when we look at that person who's not going to be coming back, we know that's going to be us someday as well. That finality, that inevitability will come to us as well. It can't be escaped. And we're powerless on our own to overcome it. It's like the winter. We know it's coming, but often no one wants to face it. No one wants to come to grips with the cold, hard truth. It's easier on our minds to ignore it. And perhaps that's why the church today, in her wisdom, chose this particular gospel in the middle of harvest as the seasons are changing. So that when we're tempted to avoid thinking about winter or pondering death, here comes the church this morning who says, no, we're, we're going to look at death today. You're not going to look away. In fact, we're going to look death straight in the face this morning. And the gospel itself does this. It jumps right in to face death. And so the gospel starts this way. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now Nain was small. But it had seen God's miracles in the past. Centuries earlier around this area, Elisha the prophet came, and through him God performed a miracle so that when he visited a, an older barren couple, the miracle was that when Elisha spoke, afterwards the couple had a child, or before they had been barren, they had a son. And here we are again 900 years later. Our Lord approaches Nain, and as he does, they still spoke about that miracle. They hadn't forgotten about it. But even as they remembered that miracle, a different scene was playing out this time as our Lord approached. Here, a widow was going out to bury her son. She wasn't barren. She had a son, but she's going out to bury him. He had just died. Because back then when he had a funeral, he didn't wait a week to bury someone. You had to bury them within the first day. So he had just died. And they were going out to bury him. They were all weeping and mourning. No one expected a miracle. Now imagine if we're able to travel back to Nain and someone from today suggested to this poor widow that instead of weeping and wailing at a funeral, that she should instead have a celebration of life service with laughter. Can you imagine someone telling that widow that? How awful it would be, how insensitive it would be, how inappropriate it would be to tell people in the middle of procession, no, don't grieve, celebrate the life. But that's what makes this text so powerful. Because the celebration of life, it ignores death. But this woman doesn't really have the luxury, if it is actually a luxury. She doesn't have the luxury to ignore death in this case. She can't ignore the cold, hard reality before her. Because she was preceded in death by her husband. And she's being followed in death by her son. 
Death surrounds her. She is submerged in it. The emotion and the grief and the bitterness, it's all so raw yet. These deaths will haunt her. At this point, she's expecting to, after the funeral, to go home and to sit. And do you know what it's like to sit in a house where someone's passed away? It's a deafening silence. That's what she's going to encounter. She'll be alone with no one to protect her, no one to provide for her. And on top of that, the husband she loved, the family she worked for, it's all gone. Her lineage is finished. So of course, yes, she'll remember the lives of her husband and son, but it's not necessarily a blessing. In this case, it's almost like a curse. Those memories are more of a reminder of the death and loneliness and hopelessness around her. Because there is nothing she can do to change any of it. She's helpless. A celebration of life is not possible when the finality of death hangs in the air and its, in- and its inevitability stares you in the face. This widow, she weeps in grief, but even more, she weeps in despair. Even the crowd around her, they can't do anything for her. They can hold her, they can cry with her, but they can't change a thing. And her despair is our despair. Because look around and you'll see death all around us. There's abortions and murders, shootings and wars, natural disasters, accidents, old age. We can't stop it. People want to stop death. They want to think about immortality, how they can live here forever, but we can't overcome it. And if the gospel lesson ended here with the widow simply burying her son and going home, it would be too much for us. We would never read it. We would refuse to hear it. We'd tuck this story away somewhere because it's easier to ignore death Mentally, it's easier to ignore death than to stare at the abyss and snap. But this widow has no choice. She has to look at it. And so as the church forces us today to face death, did you notice that along with the gospel that we read, the collect it had us pray? Alongside this gospel, we prayed, Lord, we pray you that your grace may always go before and follow after us. Again, death proceeded and followed after this woman. It sealed her in. Death proceeds and follows us. It seals us in. So as we face the finality and inevitability of death, here we pray, Lord, death comes before and seeks after us. Lord, save us by having your grace instead precede us. Have your grace follow us. Because we can't do anything about death. So we look to the Lord. And we see how the Lord answers in our scripture. He started his answer 900 years before this widow's son died. When Elisha came with God's grace and brought life to a lifeless tomb. So his grace came before the widow. And then our Lord comes to this area again, following after this widow and her dead son. And notice, no one called upon the Lord here. No one prayed to him here. No one knew he was going to Nain. None expected him. 
But he arrives in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of despair, and stands before and stops death's inevitable procession. He stops the funeral and he stares into that abyss. He confronts the finality of it all and doesn't move. And then as he stops death right there, our text goes on and says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. See, what happens when we look at death is we look into despair. We see the face of death, we despair. But our Lord stands before death, and death stops in its tracks. And then, in his compassion, he touches the wood, the wood of the bear, and you could say the wood of the cross. And what Christ does here, don't think of it as a magic trick, as if death just magically disappears. What he does instead is he takes this young, when he touches the wood, he takes this young man's death into himself. And that's what happens in baptism. You go into the waters and he takes your death from you into himself so that when he is nailed to the bear of the cross, he goes there with our wretchedness, our sin, our despair, our hopelessness. He goes there with our death and suffers it for us in our place. No, death in this story doesn't magically go away. Instead, what happens is it goes to the cross and it's utterly defeated by Christ on the cross, death is pronounced dead. That's what he does for this young man. And notice, the grace of God comes before the widow again centuries before, and now the grace of God follows the widow, bringing life back to her son and hope back to her life. Where she was once preceded by death, followed by death, sealed into death, now, at the raising of her son, she is sealed in the grace of God. She is sealed in Christ crucified and risen. And that's the way it is for you. You were born in sin and death that came before you in Adam. You were surrounded by sin and death all around you throughout your life. You're followed by death which awaits you in the grave. And then comes Christ. You didn't ask for Christ. You didn't know about Christ. But then comes Christ through the midst of it all without us knowing and coming before you, waiting for you in the font, right there in the waters, Christ meets you. And he brings you to the cross so that you touch the wood of the cross, he touches the wood of the cross, and your death becomes his death. And you die with him in the waters. And as you touch the wood of the cross, his life becomes your life, his righteousness, your righteousness. And you rise with him from the waters. At the font, Christ comes before us in God's grace where he tells you, young man, I say to you, arise. And you do. Rising from the waters, you are for the first time able to speak in praise and glory of him in this new life. Anytime we baptize a baby and they babble afterwards, that babbling is the first time that they give glory to God with their words, with their mouth. And then as God comes before us 
in baptism, then the grace of God follows us from the font here to the altar where His grace is given in partaking of the body and blood. We're forgiven in the sacrament. We confess the Lord's death until He comes. And here at the sacrament, having started at the font, having received the word that shapes us in this journey, then coming to the sacrament, here at the sacrament, we're sealed in from beginning to end by God's grace. He gave us a new heart in the waters. And here at the supper, we confess the resurrection. When you go from font to altar, what you're doing is going from font to the resurrection. So you receive a new heart there. You receive a new body to come here. On the last day, Christ will then present us. When we're risen with a new heart, a new body, then Christ will present us to the Father as His children, just as Christ presented the widow with her son. That's how He's going to present you to the Father. Because death has been defeated. Death is no longer inevitable. In Christ, it's no longer final. What is not inevitable now is that Christ is Lord of all and He will return. What is final is that in Him we are sons of God forever. So we live now sealed in God's grace. We, are li- we live now sealed in God's life, in His righteousness. But we're still on this journey from font to resurrection. So what now? Well, notice what happens in the story. When the dead man is brought to life, notice what happens to him and the crowds who mourned. It says, The dead man sat up and began to speak. Fear, that is reverence, seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding countryside. They were brought from death to life, from mourning to praising God. That is why the church forces us to look into the face of death this morning. Because in that deep darkness, that's where the light of Christ shines brightest. That's where the light of Christ shines most sharply and shows us what it means to have once been in death and now to be in life. In this newness of life in Christ, the church also had us pray. The first petition, the first thing we asked for was for God's grace to seal us up. Now look what we ask for once God's grace has done that. We We asked, Lord, may your grace make us continually to be given to do good works. Once you were like that young man on the bear. You were dead. You could do nothing. Now in Christ you can do good even as you suffer. Once your heart and mind focused on despair, now your heart and mind are intent and focused on doing good. That's how Christ has made you in baptism. Again, the dead man in the story, he could do nothing for his mother when he was dead. But made, alive, but made alive again, we know what he did when this story ended. He did good works. He went home with his mother. 
He loved her. He honored her. He provided for her. He protected her for the rest of her days. Having been loved and made alive in Christ, he eagerly showed his mother that love. And so it is for us. We were once dead, and now that we've been loved by Christ and made alive by him, once we're strengthened by the sacrament and go out from here, he makes us to be eager and zealous to do good. So even this week, you can go to a funeral. You can go to any visitation. You can go to a celebration of life and you can look death in the face and you don't have to despair. And even through the tears, you can praise God because of His grace that seals them and you into His life. Even then, at a funeral, you can be eager to love others as Christ loved us. Whether it's honoring parents, helping others in their life, being faithful to your spouse and children, helping the poor with money or time or helping people in the reputation, being content with what God has given us and using it to help others. All those things, they're not flashy, but they're what God has made us for in baptism. Death is no longer inevitable. Even though we die, Paul Christ says, we don't die. Because he's overcome death. Life is the final word in him. So do not despair. Weep only for a time. Today we partake of the supper, and tomorrow, whatever tomorrow that is, Christ will come and all despair will be left behind. All tears will be wiped away. So then let us come to the supper and afterwards... Let us love and eagerly do good. Because death is not inevitable. Christ is. And his reign is final. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
rest upon thee to deliver me. Didst humble thyself to be born of a virgin, and thou hadst overcome the sharpness of death. Thou didst open the kingdom of heaven to all believers. Thou sittest at the right hand of God. mercy upon us. O Christ, have mercy upon us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we pray you that your grace may always go before and follow after us, and make us continually to be given to all good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. And we beseech you, so to implant your word in us that, in good and honest hearts, we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith by patient continuance and well-doing. 
Most heartily, we beseech you so to rule and govern your church Catholic, with all her pastors and ministers, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith toward you may be strengthened, love and charity increased in us toward all mankind, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people, and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Kim, our Governor, the Legislature of this State, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and hostilities, and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. Especially do we pray for those that we name in our hearts at this time. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishment, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of them that believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, together with the offerings we bring before you. For by his blood your Son has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. As we are strangers and pilgrims on earth, Help us by true faith and a godly life to prepare for the world to come, doing the work you have given us to do while it is day, before the night comes when no one can work. And when our last hour shall come, support us by your power and receive us into your everlasting kingdom. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. 
Amen. Let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by thy governance, may be righteous in thy sight. Through the same Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. We give thanks unto thee, Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast protected us through the night from all danger and harm. And we beseech thee to preserve and keep us this day also from all sin and evil, that in all our thoughts, words, and deeds we may serve and please thee. Into thy hands we commend our bodies and our souls and all that is ours. Let thy holy angel have charge concerning us, that the wicked one have no power over us. Amen. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, be with us all. Amen.